Have you ever noticed that uh, we don't give equal amounts of love to everyone? We don't give consistent and equal amount of grace to every person. We don't give equal and consistent amounts of benefit of the doubt, equal or consistent amount of, I'm going to give you some space to fail or make mistakes. We just aren't equal in the amount of love that we show people. You know, uh, we most easily love those we most want to love. And we don't want to love everyone the same, right? We most easily, it's just easy to love those people that we want to love. And in fact, the ones that, are most, that we most want to love are the ones that we are most invested in. It's the people who are already close to us. People that we're invested in, we want to see them succeed and do well in life. Uh, often the people that we love most, the people we want to love most are, you know, maybe our, our, our kids, our grandkids, our siblings, our spouses, uh, friends, people that we're already invested in. We want to see them do well and, and we, uh, we want to see them do well. The psychologists call this uh, optimism, optimism bias or a liking bias. And we all have it. That we see certain people or certain situations, we see certain people through these rose-colored glasses, and we interpret everything they do through these, uh, through these lenses. And uh, we all have this kind of liking bias or this optimism bias. One of the people that we have this optimism or liking bias towards is ourselves, right? I mean, we kind of like ourselves. Uh, we're invested in ourselves. We're okay if we succeed. And, uh, and so we give a lot of space to ourselves often. When we make mistakes or have failures, we give ourselves grace and we make excuses and you know, blame others like, I was late, but if you knew, right? We just kind of give ourselves the benefit of the doubt because um, we like ourselves. But we don't just do this to ourselves. We do this to others, particularly some specific others. Let me give you an example of kind of how this, this liking bias, this optimism bias works. Imagine you went to a restaurant and as you're at the restaurant, you get like terrible service, right? I mean, they're late. Uh, you know, the waiter or waitress is like pouring coffee and it's just disaster. It's everywhere on your lap and water everywhere. And then the food comes and it's cold and you bite into it and there's like this long string of hair and it's just like, oh, it's just terrible. It's just complete disaster, right? And what do you do when you kind of come across this kind of, you know, service, and you've probably, you know, been to a restaurant where you had this kind of service, here's probably what you do, right? You, like, call the manager over, you know, do a little bit of complaining. You're like, hey, I want this meal free, and I want a, I, I want a gift card for a free meal at a different restaurant because I'm not coming back here, right? You know, you know, and when it comes to a tip, you're not tipping, right? They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. But... Consider this now, and this is how the liking optimism bias plays in. Imagine now that that waiter or waitress is your daughter or your son or your granddaughter or your grandson. Suddenly, because you're looking through the liking biased, you know, rose-colored glasses, everything changes, right? And you start making excuses for them and covering for them in your own mind. You're like, oh, it's their first day on the job. You know, they're just kind of nervous. You know, they're doing the best they can. Did you see how she cleaned up? I mean, the way she cleaned up the coffee that was on me, she did a great job of cleaning up, right? Like, and then when it comes to a tip, it's like you just give an extra big tip. Why? 
they just need a little encouragement today, right? So you see how this changes? Same situation, but in one instance, you see it through one set of lenses, and the other instance, you see it through this liking bias or this optimism bias, and everything changes. And we do this in all kinds of areas of life, whether it's a driver's like, that's my grandpa, and you just kind of, you know, everyone else is like, your grandpa shouldn't be driving anymore, right? It's like, so we, we have this kind of liking bias and, and this optimism bias, and we all do it. But what's also true is that we also have a disliking bias, don't we? And there's some people, they can just do no wrong, and you just kind of believe in them, and you just give them space for the benefit of the doubt. But I bet there's some groups of people in your life that you don't give them the benefit of the doubt, and you don't have a lot of grace or love towards this group of people, and maybe it's because of what they think or how they behave or what they believe, or maybe it's how they vote, but you just don't have a lot. It doesn't matter what they do. You just kind of, you never, you never give them the benefit of the doubt. You have a disliking bias towards them. And for some of us, it's, there's like specific people. It's very personal, right? Like there was that person who wronged you, who crossed you, who hurt you. And it doesn't matter what they do. You just see it through a new lens. It's not the rose-colored lens. It's the tinted lens, Right? where it's just negative, and they can't do anything right. You know, to kind of case in point, uh, just think of your uh, particular politician of choice, the politician that you uh, support. Have you ever noticed that, you know, the particular party or the politician that you support, you know, they, you know, sometimes they'll make mistakes or they'll do some things, and you just have this tendency to kind of like overlook those things, and you have this tendency to kind of like make excuses for them. And you just don't focus on those. You focus on the good things that they've done. And if you don't see it in yourselves, I bet you see it in others, right? Because you have your politician that is not of your choice. And you just see everything they do as negative. It's just through that lens. In fact, you can't even imagine why anyone would vote for them. Do you know why? Because you see it. Whether you like it or not, through a bias. We all have liking biases and non-liking, disliking biases. The, the, the best way I think I can drive this home, this kind of liking, disliking bias, is simply this way. Troshu. <laughs> right? Right? And here's the deal. Some of you were offended by that because you have a liking bias towards Troshu. Right? And others of you, you're like, amen, preacher, keep going, right? Because you have a disliking bias towards Troshu, right? And I just got to clear this up. Uh, you guys got to know, I personally, okay, I have a liking bias towards Troshu. I love Troshu, okay? In fact, so much so, I got some Troshu swag I'm going to wear today. Um, it says, Town of Troshu, thrive in Troshu, right? And then it says, think. Oh no, thrive in Troshu. Don't think in Troshu, just thrive there. Uh, why Troshu? It's a great, great place. So yeah, I love Troshu. In fact, a few years ago, some of you know, uh, a couple years, a year and a half ago, I moved closer to Troshu because of my love for Troshu. Um, this was given to me, it was free. I mean, I wouldn't pay for Troshu sway because you know, love has its limits. Uh, so liking bias has its limits. So, so, you know, but we all have our biases, right? And we see things through certain lenses, Here's the deal. If you think you don't have a bias, 
You're like, I'm the exception. Like, I just see things like I'm, I don't have any biases. I see things rightly. Just so you know, that's your self-biased self-talk talking. You have a bias, okay? We all have a lens, a bias, a liking bias that we see this, we see the world through. But here's, here's the deal. For all, those of us who are believers, maybe you're not a believer yet, and you're like, ah, I don't know about this Jesus thing. You're just welcome to listen in today. But for those of us who are believers, this liking bias, this optimism bias, this disliking bias, it's a problem and a tension for us in our faith. See, I said earlier, we most easily love those we most want to love. And the ones we most want to love are the ones that we're most invested in. But here's where the tension hits. God is not like us in our biases. And as we follow Jesus and as we kind of read the scriptures and this is our faith, we start to bump into this this reality that we have some liking biases and we have some disliking biases. But God is not like us in our biases. But here's where the tension really gets thick. So much so that this can actually drive us to kind of walk away from our faith. So much so that this can kind of say, God, I don't know if I can accept this. I don't know if I'm in on this whole faith thing. The tension is that strong. God is not like us in our biases, but it goes even further. That God has the audacity to call us to change our biases to fit his. And this is such a strong tension that can cause some of us to say, I don't know if I even want in on the faith. And this, we bump into this and all of this starts to come out in the last section, chapter four, of this little book we've been going through called Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet, and you know what prophets do. Prophets speak to the people for God. God gives them a message. That's what prophets do. They tell the people, here's a message. Well, God came to Jonah. He's like, I got a message for you for the people. And Jonah's like, no, thank you. I disagree with your message. And God said, go east. And he's like, I'm going west. And Jonah's like, not a chance. I'm giving that message because here's the message God given. He said, I want you to go to the most brutal, heartless, violent empire history has ever known. And I want you to give them my message. (laughs) And these were enemies, not only of Jonah personally, but of his people, the Israelites, and of pretty much every nation around, because this this nation was just, this Assyrian empire was coming and conquering everyone at that time. And Jonah said, no, thank you. He runs away from God. He's like, I disagree. And God, in his relentless pursuit of love, get this, not only of Jonah, but he was relentless on Jonah because of his relentless pursuit of love for the Assyrians. He pursued Jonah and sent this storm, you can read about in chapter one, sent this storm to get Jonah's attention and Jonah's attention was caught. He's like, okay, either I can follow God or I can like just kind of go through the storm, which is my death, I choose death. He's like, I choose death. And then God's like, ah, not so fast. And God sends this fish and swallows Jonah. It's kind of this crazy story. Saves Jonah. And then three days later, Jonah gets vomited out and onto dry ground. And, 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 and God's like, oh, by the way, because Jonah didn't immediately go to you know, the, the city of Nineveh, to the Assyrians. He's like, I don't know if, I, are you serious? Maybe I didn't hear you right. So God's word comes to him again. He's like, no, I still want you to go to Nineveh. So Jonah goes to Nineveh and he speaks the message of God to the people. And something crazy happens. We're told that when God saw what they did, how they responded, how they turned from their evil ways as they heard the message from God, 
He, God, relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened, the destruction that was actually owed them. See, when God sent this message to the Ninevites saying, hey, by the way, 40 more days and you're done, you're going to be overthrown, the Ninevites heard that and they repented. They turned from what they were doing. Not only that, when they repented, God relented from the destruction that was coming towards them that was actually owed them. And we would read this and we're like, wow, that's a beautiful story. It's kind of like a Cinderella Disney story, right? Like some bad stuff, and then they change, and now it's like happily ever after. Everyone lives happily ever after, except for in this story, not everyone lived happily ever after. Jonah was not happy. In fact, this is what we read. But to Jonah, this was not a Cinderella happily ever after. This seemed very wrong, and he became angry, very wrong, literally. Jonah saw this, he's like, disaster, This is a disaster. The disaster was, there's no disaster on the people I wanted to have disaster on. And not only was this disaster, this was wrong. This was like like an injustice. Like God who's supposed to be just is not being just. He's like, this is wrong. Now we often look at Jonah and we're like, come on. Dude, like they repented. Come on, give them a break. But I want you to imagine for a second. And I can't tell you, I've told you this in this series. I can't describe for you some of the war crimes and humanity crimes that the Assyrian Empire did on those that they conquered. It is, it is, it is gross. It is terrible, despicable. Now I want you to imagine the worst things that you can imagine happening not only to you, but to your daughter, to your son, to your granddaughter, to your grandson, to your grandfather, to your friends, This was the nation of Assyria. This is what they were doing to those around, including the Israelites. This was not happy. This was about as bad as it can get. Maybe personalize this. Who are the people? Who are the people that have wronged you maybe the worst? Maybe they stabbed you in the back. They gossiped against you. They slandered you. Maybe they... You know, made some promises they, they didn't keep. Maybe you have, you know, someone that you have this dislike, bias towards. It's because of what they have done. It's your spouse or your ex-spouse or your father or someone who took advantage of you. This is very real and raw. And this is where we bump up against what Jonah's bumping up against. And he's angry. Because when we see what some people do to some people, and sometimes those people are us, and God doesn't act in justice immediately, we think something's wrong. God, you're a God of justice. We have to realize we have a disliking bias. And God, he's not like us in our biases. And this is where the story goes next. This is where the tension starts to bump up against what Jonah is learning about God and what he's finding out. Maybe he doesn't like all that much. See, Jonah prayed to the Lord and he said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. (laughs) I knew. (laughs) Here's the thing. Jonah is not, you know, just your kind of flagrant, disobedient prophet. He's not like just flippantly disobedient. He is calculated. He is measured. When God said, you go to Nineveh, when God said, you go to your your enemies, the Assyrians, Jonah's like, okay, I'm going to calculate some things. I'm going to measure some things. I knew 
What did he know? He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. (laughs) If you're, you know, read through the Old Testament a few times, you've heard this before, haven't you? In fact, this shows up over and over in Exodus, a number of times in the Psalms, in the prophets. Seven times these exact words are spoken. God is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. God is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love. It happens all throughout Scripture, seven times in the Old Testament. And every single time it's spoken as a positive right? It's like, wow, God, you're gracious and compassionate. I love it when you're gracious and compassionate to me because I like me. And I love it when you're gracious and compassionate to the people that I like. Only in Jonah does Jonah use this as a negative, almost as like against God. Because God, his biases aren't like us and God likes some people that we don't like. He says, this is why I was calculated, I was measured. I knew you were going to do this, and I disagree. Now, Lord, in fact, he didn't disagree. He disagreed a lot. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I would rather die than to live and see the people I wish were dead prosper. (laughs) So let me die. You know, Jonah, he's just wanting to die all the time. He just can't. But the Lord replied, Is it right? Here's a question. Just kind of poking at Jonah a little bit. Is it right for you to be angry? Another way to phrase it, have you any right? See, what God is not saying is that it's wrong to be angry. There is such a thing as right anger. It's called righteous anger. It just means right anger. And God is saying, is this that kind of anger? Is this a right anger? In fact, the way you can tell the difference between like right anger, righteous anger, and not right anger, is this producing any good? Is your anger producing any good? (laughs) And God's like, let's talk. Let me ask a question. Jonah's like, I'm not talking. I'm done. He's like, he had already gone out. He'd sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Maybe God will come to his senses yet. Huh? Come on, God, bring the judgment. Come on, bring the destruction. Maybe God will come to his senses. (laughs) You know, God's like, man, I've been trying to talk to my prophet Jonah, and he's not listening, and talking's not working, so he's like, I'm going to try something different. And God does this object lesson. It's very personal, straight for Jonah. And what he does in this object lesson, he's pushing against Jonah's disliking bias. And trying to get Jonah to expand his understanding of God and how God is not like us in our biases. Here's the object lesson. Then the Lord, God provided, this God, all God doing, he provided a leafy plant and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very, very happy about the plant because guess who Jonah likes? (laughs) Himself. It's okay, you can like yourself. God's not saying don't like yourself. He's like, this is good. I like this. But at dawn the next day, God provides all God's doing. Remember, his object lesson, he's trying to teach Jonah something about his, you know, biases. God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that, that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided again a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. He's always wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. My life is terrible. 
And God comes along and says, okay, now I want to talk to you about something that you just don't want to receive. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? See, Jonah responds, it is. In fact, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. And then God's going to start to kind of invest into Jonah with some words and some invest into you and I. And what God is going to kind of, the whole point of this entire kind of thing that's been going on in Jonah is that God is going to say, listen, my biases aren't like yours. And the Lord said to Jonah, you've been very concerned about this plant because this plant was about you. And you're concerned about you. You like you. Even though you didn't tend for the plant, you didn't make it, you weren't invested in the plant, but guess who you're invested in? You. So you were concerned about the plant. It sprang up overnight, it died overnight. You had nothing to do with it. You were concerned about it because you're invested into you. And then God gets to his point. And should I not have concern? For the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. God isn't just concerned about his creation as humanity. He's concerned about his creation as in animals, too. And God says, you're concerned about the plant, even though you had no investment in the plant, because you're invested in you. Should I not be concerned? Because here's the thing about who I'm invested in. I'm invested in kind of like everybody, even the people of Nineveh, who, God says, cannot tell their right hand from their left. And when God says this, he's not saying, oh, the Ninevites are so stupid and dumb. What he's saying is, they didn't know better. They were ignorant. See, they have had generations of violence. This generation didn't grow up and was like, let's be violent. They had a father who was violent, a forefather, grandfather was violent, a great-grandfather was violent. Violence has been passed on. They didn't know any better. This is how you do life. And God said, shouldn't I have concern on them? Rather than just destroying them, shouldn't I come to them and at least give them a chance to know, hey, by the way, God disagrees with what you're doing. What? There's a God and he disagrees? Shouldn't they at least find out because I have concern for them? (laughs) See, God's biases are not like ours because God is invested in people we aren't necessarily invested in. And here's the interesting thing. If you've been reading your Bible, that's the end. There's no conclusion. It ends with this question. God asking Jonah, who's bumped up against the amazing, immense, beyond measure, offensive love of God. See, the love of God is so amazing until it becomes offensive. It becomes, it's amazing when it's for us and those we like, and it becomes offensive when it goes beyond where we're willing to let it go. And Jonah bumps up against this love, this character trait of God, and he disagrees. And God's like, listen, I have different biases than you. I don't have the same dislike biases that you have. 
And then God comes to Jonah and says, well, he comes to us. He says, what about you? See, I think the whole book of Jonah, the author, as he's writing it, he stops right there with the question because the author wants to pull us in, the reader in, and say, what about you? See, you're a lot like Jonah, and I'm a lot like Jonah. And as we follow God, eventually we bump up to this character trait of God that's so amazing and yet becomes offensive to us. Because his love goes further than we're often willing to let it go. And God invites us and he challenges us. He calls us to change our biases, to fit like him, to fit his biases. You know, 800 years after Jonah, another Jonah came. You know him better as Jesus. And in Jesus' most famous sermon he ever spoke, he made this crazy, crazy outlandish command for all his followers. He said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. (laughs) It's like, what? If you read the context of that, it's actually referring to this perfect love that your heavenly father, God, has for you. Be perfect. Love in the perfect way that God has loved you. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And in that context, Jesus makes this other statement that we kind of like, what? He says this, he says, love your enemies. Like, why would I love my enemies? Because God loved his. Because God loved you. And you were God's enemy. Romans tells us that while we were sinners, in chapter 5, that we were enemies of God. We were far from him. And we were all there the same. Believer and unbeliever. But it's only when we put our faith in Jesus that we become children of God. No longer enemies, but friends. Sons and daughters. And God invites us to be like him. Because children, sons, mimic their father. When he calls us sons and children of God, he says, be like me. And that that call is a call to change our biases to fit his. So what biases do you have that God might be calling on you and saying, it's time to change some of your biases to fit God's bias? You know, one of the questions we kind of bump into when we hear this is like, well, how? How? How do we change our biases? We all have them. We can't like not have them. So how? How do we become more like God in this? I'm going to go back to what I said earlier, and that's this. We most easily love those we most want to love. And the people we most want to love are the people we're most invested in. So how do we grow in this kind of love? We invest in people in new ways that we hadn't invested in before. In fact, when Jesus says, love your enemies... The very next thing he says is pray, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You do what praying does, it's an investment. 
Jesus knew as we'd pray for those who are our enemies who's been hurting us, that we would actually begin to grow to be more like our Heavenly Father. That some of our biases, our dislike biases, may just change a little bit. What would it look like for you to invest in some people that maybe you're not currently investing in? Some people who think differently than you, believe differently than you, that act differently and live differently than you, that vote differently than you. To have an investment in them because God is invested in them. See, God calls us to change our biases to fit his. One thing I want to say, those of you that are followers of Jesus and you're not a follower of Jesus, you might think this is strange because some things followers of Jesus do are strange. I get it. Um, But one of the things us followers of Jesus often do is we have this thought, and sometimes we verbalize it, sometimes we don't, um, but we sometimes have this thought, we, we look at the evil in the world and people that are just different and they live different than us and, and you know, they're just, we don't think they're right and, and we see kind of just the, the mess of the world and we're like, man, I can't wait until Jesus comes back to kind of put an end to evil and put an end to all these evil, you know, things that people do and the people that are so evil. We're like, I can't wait. But do you know who can wait? Your heavenly Father. In fact, in 1 Peter chapter 3, we're told the reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is because God can wait, because he's invested in the very people we're often willing to throw out. And God says, I don't want anyone to be destroyed, but I want all people to come to repentance. In fact, a prophet that came just after Jonah, Ezekiel, in chapter 33, he quotes God, and God says this, I, the Lord, say, I take no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. See, God is vested in everyone, even those we're not invested in. God has a liking bias towards all people because he is concerned about them. And he wants all people to come to repentance. So what would it look like for us to change our biases to invest in people in new ways that we haven't been investing in? Because here's the deal. Right here in Nehill County, there are people who don't know Jesus and apart from Jesus will end up, just like the Ninevites, in a place of destruction. Their lives are being destroyed. Jesus is life. And what would it look like for us as the church, as the followers of Jesus, to start to begin to grow our heart of God for the people who are around us? And the way our heart grows to be more like God for the people around us is by investing in them. You know, one of the few of the ways that we've talked about investing in those around us here at Mount Olive, and I just want to challenge you that this again is we talk about pray for four. Find four people that you know who don't know Jesus. And if you don't know four people who don't know Jesus, you should find some people who don't know Jesus in your sphere of influence. Four people who you know don't know Jesus and start investing in them. When you pray for them, you start investing in them. And I guarantee you, your heart for them will begin to change. It's going to start to look more like God's heart for them. And as you start to invest in them, invest in them by having make it more conversations, these daily conversations, sometimes we bump into people, we're like, oh, how's the weather, the rain, the oilers, the flames, whatever, and also it's like, how could I take this further to have a conversation that goes into, how are you doing? What do you think about God? Turn it to things that are of, of spiritual nature. And then this is one we've added and we've talked about, and this is a big investment. We've talked about, why not open the door of your life and even your homes. And this is a big investment because some of you are going to have to clean up your homes. 
Your spouse will probably be happy that you invited someone over because, you know, but to invest, invest in people enough to say, come over. Let me, let me ex- share some of my life with you as you share your life with me. And as we begin to do this, I think our biases will begin to look a little bit more like our Heavenly Father's. Imagine what God could all do through us as we become more like God to those around us. I'm excited to find out as we continue to grow in that kind of love. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. Um, Although I think if we're honest, we're not always thankful for your word. Like Jonah, sometimes your word comes to us and it pushes us further than maybe we are willing to go. As we consider your love, God, we love your love as it relates to us and those we like. But your love can become offensive sometimes when we realize it's for those even we don't like. So God, as we think of our own biases, would you break through the barriers and the, the walls that we put up that are not your barriers and not your walls? So Father, we need your wisdom and we need your courage. We need your strength to grow in the love that you have for us and give that to others. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.